0: Many times we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. to take charge of whom you really are, and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Laura Redmond, and I am here for you every week, bringing you the most empowering information available with the most inspiring experts in their fields so that you too can feel more embodied and live a life that is integrated and aligned both with your sexuality, your mind, all of the above, your body, your soul, it all goes together. Um, We could categorize the aspects of our beings that are one or the other But ultimately, to be embodied, you want to experience full alignment. And in my coaching practice, where I help individuals on the phone or in person, I often say, alignment is when your heart and your gut and your words all match. And when that happens, it feels electric. It's the embodiment of being aligned, and the alignment of being embodied, and they all go together. And today my guest is extremely special. I want to introduce her formally in a moment, but she is a sexuality doula, and I think for a lot of people in my generation, being 50s or older... You know, sexually, we we really didn't get a lot of the education that's available today. And Evian, my guest, is one of the leaders in the field. She's bringing information out there to the world that when I was younger, you really couldn't find. I mean, we had The Joy of Sex, which was a book that really was the only book I remember being a book one could get their hands on to try to just learn what are some other parts about sexuality that aren't just about having an orgasm or, um, you know, flesh to flesh? It goes deeper than that. And in today's world, we're lucky to have my guest out there publicly available for you. If you're listening and you have any little ones hanging around, please put on earphones or have them go put on their earphones because this will be an adult only show. Um And that's always good to know because sometimes the little ones get very excited by the word sex and it's not time for them to learn some of the things we're going to learn today. My guest is Evian Whitney and she is a writer, a sensualist and a sexuality doula. She helps facilitate, educate and hold space for women and femmes who are seeking to come into the full expression of their erotic selves. She's also the host of her very own podcast called Sexually Liberated Woman Podcast, which is an ongoing sex-positive dialogue that highlights, celebrates, and encourages sexual liberation in all of its forms. When she's not writing or working on her podcast, Evian is helping women to step out of their sexual shame and into their erotic power via one-on-one coaching and intimacy counseling. We'll tell you how to find out more about her at the end of the show, but right now, I want to welcome you, Evian, to my show. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor and a pleasure.
1: And we've spoken a little bit, um, not live, and and I told you that what really Pulled me to you because I'm seeking my own inspiration through this show. And I read something about the work you're doing through your podcast, as well as through your website and your blog and Instagram. And I immediately went to that to look at it because what I was saying in the intro is where we could all use your guidance today, which is that I think a lot of us have been sexually repressed, have had these sort of ideas around sexual freedom. That are more shameful than liberated, and I think where we really could use your help is to say, "How?" I'm going to ask you flat out, "How do we become freer in our sexual selves in order to be more embodied?"
2: Oh, that is such a loaded question because there's so many different uh, places for you to start with this. Um, I so, man, I don't even know, like. I want to say all all of the different things, but I'll start first with, I think it's important that we, before we even think about wanting to be sexually free, that we start analyzing and sort of deconstructing the things that we were taught about sex or sexuality, maybe they're falsehoods, maybe they're uh, beliefs that have been passed down to us from family members or churches or institutions, whatever um, that. That comes from. It's important to deconstruct those things that are keeping us from being sexually free. So, a lot of the women that I work with, um, the main thing that's keeping them from sexually being sexually free is shame, and that shame stems from many different places, right? Like it can stem from um, from this idea that uh, to be a sexual woman is to be slutty, is to be immoral, um, is to be impure and i mean we can totally start talking about like you know the misogyny in that the sexism in that um sometimes the racism that's in that um other forms of shame are body shame you know women have been taught for a long long time to shrink themselves to make themselves smaller to not use their voices to not take up space um So in those senses, I think it's important before we can even think about what it looks like to actualize sexual freedom, we have to first start deconstructing and like really just like going inward and analyzing the things that are potentially keeping us from being sexually free. And I will say that that work is really hard to do. It's really, really difficult to turn uh, the lens within yourself and have these things come up. And realize, like, wow, I have a lot of trauma inside of me. I have a lot of shame inside of me. Um, and and having the realization of that is, it can be so overwhelming. It can be really um, uh, discouraging. It can be really, even bring some shame within you that you even feel the way that you do about sex. But it's so, so important, it's so, so important. And then once you begin to do that that deep work, um, then you can start taking further steps, analyzing, okay, the shame came from this. Do I believe that that's true? Like do I believe that it's true that if I take up space that I'm going to be a bad person
1: um, mm-hmm. or
2: analyzing the fears that are attached to that? you know, like one thing that I hear from my clients all the time is that they're worried that if they, actualize and fully step into <clears throat> and embody their sexualities, they are going to put themselves um, in danger, like they're going to put themselves at risk. And that's a real world, uh, I mean, that's a real consequence of especially living in a in a society where we have rape culture and misogyny, sexism, all those really yucky things. Um, that is a real threat to women. But if we can like just take a step back a little bit and kind of ask ourselves like, okay, what would it look like first for me to express myself as a sexual woman? Oftentimes that doesn't look like having random public sex with strangers, right? Like most of the times when I ask my clients this question, they just want to be able to inhabit their bodies and to feel with their senses when they are walking in a room. And in order to do that, they have to take up space and they have to be okay with taking up that space. And But there's a fear there. There's a fear of being seen. There's a fear of of maybe by being seen, you're putting yourself in danger. And so in a lot of ways, I work with with women to um, help them come into their own sense of power so that they can feel both powerful and then also confident so that the fear doesn't get in the way of that expression. Um, so, I mean, again, like the question is so big and it can go in so many different areas, but I think that that would be like the first big step.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. And what I find interesting is that you're working with women from a sexual landscape, and I'm working with women from a confidence landscape. And the two are inseparable in many respects because one cannot coexist without the other. Mm. So I find it so really um, insightful when a client of mine in my coaching practice will say to me on the phone or in person, I can't feel my body, because I am a proponent of the word embodied and embodiment, and I think that has all these different categories. And so it's always very helpful if someone can literally own and say, I can't feel my body. And when they hear embodiment or embodied, a lot of times, the first thing I hear is, how do I feel my body? How do I feel my feelings? How do I feel where my life is stuck? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the great ways to allow feeling and emotion to be part of a higher understanding of each individual self is to allow your full energy to come out and to be awakened. And I'm a, I'm going to ask you if that link would take someone directly to their sexual, soulful self. Being confident in your body? By feeling your body. By feeling your emotions. By feeling anything that is happening that might be shut off or shut down or numbed out because of the great monster of fear.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, one thing that uh, a lot of people think about my work is that I'm sitting in session with people talking about orgasms and masturbation and I don't know the Kama Sutra or whatever but um honestly for for my with when it comes to my work sex is in a lot of ways sort of the gateway that gets people into this realm of healing themselves in a holistic way I I heal from a very holistic perspective I I believe that sex is connected to everything so like We can't talk about sexual liberation without talking about body acceptance. We can't talk about sexual liberation without... Uh, this idea of, of taking up space. We can't talk about sexual liberation without um, honoring your body's natural cycles and honoring your emotions. So in a lot of sessions, I spend time not so much talking about the sex piece. I mean, we, we definitely get on that subject, but because, we, because of this work and because of having to start from that place of deconstruction, we tend to work backwards. And so you're absolutely right that like, in my work, one of the things that I do is I help people sort of come to uh, come to a place where they're beginning to feel and open up and see their bodies in a new light. Um, and it it for some people that seems a little counterintuitive because, you know, I mean, I've had a few clients be like, well, are we ever gonna talk about sex? (laughs) And I'm (laughs) like, well, I mean, yes, we absolutely can. But like, it's, it's going to be really difficult for us to navigate all of the deep, juicy things within sex and sexuality, if you're not in a place of, of acceptance and uh, groundedness in your body um, and and if you have a relationship with yourself where you are stifling your emotions or you uh, aren't allowing yourself to be the full expression of yourself, whatever that looks like, so um, so yes, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that um, that it's it's connected to so many things, and you can't get to that confidence piece until you begin to uh, to heal and nurture this relationship that you have, not just with your body, but also with with your emotional body, as I like to call it.
1: Exactly. So I would love to ask you to take us through, how did your path lead you to this? Tell us your story and how your focus became sexuality and becoming a sexuality doula, which I think is a wonderful combination of words.
2: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, I like to say that this path, chose me, that I didn't consciously choose to be a sexuality doula. Um, I was raised in a pretty religious household that didn't quite teach me um, the, the positivity and the beauty of sex outside of it being with a man and a woman and them being married. So it was a very interesting thing for me to grow up with, having this very religious Uh, idea and concept almost as if sex was this uh, forbidden uh, and very taboo thing in my household and then I would go to school i would watch mtv i would be amongst my friends and i mean sex was a free-for-all i mean all my friends were engaging in sexual sexual activities um every music video i was watching was talking about sex um and and it was this weird it was this weird contradiction for me to to have on one hand sex be this very uh I wouldn't say it was negative in my household, but it certainly in in my in my growing up experience, it certainly wasn't seen as a positive. It was seen as more like forbidden, not something that you're supposed to do. and then you know, in when I'm at school, having all these people talk about it and make it sound like so wonderful. So I grew up ha- like being kind of stuck in the middle of that, not really knowing um. Which was the right way of going about things. And because of that, you know, i I felt like the teachings that I was taught was that, you know, you are supposed to remain a virgin until you're married, which I did not. But this idea that up until the married, like your' you're your married or your marriage day, like the the day that you get married, up until that moment, you are supposed to be a pure woman. And then after that, like on your wedding night, when you finally get to have sex with your husband, that's when like you are able to just be the wild, crazy, free sexual woman out of nowhere, like without any education, without any concept of what sexual, uh, like what a healthy sexual relationship looks like. And that kind of uh, that teaching and and the, that just sort of um, ideology definitely carried into my own adult life like when I met my husband who I've been with for um, 11 years now we were in a relationship and it was fantastic he's he was the love of my life but the moment that we moved in together that's when the sex became really really heavy and traumatic for me because I was thrust in the situation where I was supposed to be this you know chaste and innocent, and not super worldly woman. And here I was, um, shacking up with my boyfriend, and supposed to have it all together. And um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that were kind of flaring up at that time. I was dealing with depression, I was dealing with anxiety, um, I was dealing with um, some sexual trauma that I hadn't actually Taken the time to really sit down and work through, and so for the for like the first few years of um, my relationship and eventually my marriage, um, I had a very dysfunctional relationship with sex. Um, it was one of those things where sex wasn't something that I wanted, it, but it also confused me, and um, and I felt like I should want it. Um, and you know, my husband and I at the time we were having talks about. Um, either getting separated or him having some sort of a mistress because I didn't feel like I could show up fully in our sexual relationship because of all the the stuff that I had like compounded and compacted onto that. Um, and so this entire time that I'm going through this this really hard time, I'm writing. I've been writing for, for a long, long time, forever, pretty much since I was like seven years old. And I was chronicling my journey of, you know, being wed and, and what it's like for me to be like this domestic woman and and things like that. And I remember writing one thing once just being very vulnerable about how the sex in my marriage was just not good and how I had this very horrible uh, relationship with sex and these very bad ideas that are, and they weren't necessarily bad I won't say that but they were they were definitely um, they were definitely restrictive they definitely weren't making me feel free and I, I wrote it all out I sent it out into the world and I mean that was one of my most popular blog posts at the time I mean I got so many emails and comments from women saying my god me too I was raised in the same way or I'm dealing with the same anxieties or I have the same confusion And, um, fast forward a few years later, a friend of mine, um, who was a sex journalist at the time, I guess she had seen that post and was like, oh, I would love for you to pin some essays for me about, uh, about sex and particularly women and their relationship to their bodies and, and masturbation, this idea of self-pleasuring. And, um, I was really excited about that. I really wanted to continue to explore, uh, my sexuality and, and, and healing that sexuality. And so I pinned some essays. I created a new blog for that. Um, I called it Sex Love Liberation. And uh, I pinned those essays. and then honestly, ever since then, um, I've been on this journey of of sexual liberation, of sexual awakening. And um, within a few years of that, within a few years of me um, doing this work, people started asking me, like, when can I go to a workshop with you? Like, when, when are you going to be teaching? I would really love to sit down and, and just learn from you and, um, and to work with you. And I was like, what? (laughs) Because (laughs) at this point, I, I, I mean, I was no expert, you know, I mean, I I was just kind of pioneering my own, um, my own path and, and just trying to, heal myself in in the best way that I knew how by like reading books and, and things like that. And um, I kept getting this question asked to me so many times that I really started thinking about it. Like, I wonder, is it, could I potentially help people in this way? Could I potentially show up for women in a way that I wasn't uh, shown up for when I was growing up, um, when I needed it most, when, you know, when I had just gotten married and I was having all of these issues. And um, I, I I made the choice to just try it out to see what would it look like if I, you know, did some sessions with some women, very low cost. I mean, I'll charge like $5 per session and see if I like it. And if I liked it, then I'll continue. And my God, it was it was um it was love at first sight. It was it's it's been an incredible journey for me to teach because I learned through that. Um, as I liberate or as I help facilitate other people's sexual awakenings, I also awaken. So
1: But I have a question though, because yeah. I'm confused. How did you personally step into your erotic power? Mm. Beyond, not not teaching, but just your story. How did yeah. you get Give well, me more sort of, Give me more points about how your erotic power unfolded within your marriage.
2: Definitely. So within this time of me, you know writing and things like that, I started to just do lots of research. Like I, I, I took a step back and I realized that sex was um, definitely something that I had an issue with. And I tried all these other things. I tried, you know, couples therapy. Uh, I even went to the doctor because I was like, maybe there's something wrong with my hormones. Uh, Things sort of checked out fine. And so I started thinking, you know, kind of coming back to that first, this first question that you asked me, um, what was I taught that is creating such fear and restriction for me? Um, What? what sort of belief systems have I been holding on to that um, are keeping me in this state of sexual dysfunction?
1: So I'm guessing um, one of the points was to let go of that conditioning and that belief system that was keeping you separate from your sexual erotic power.
2: Absolutely. And reading lots of books, I started getting right into sex positivity. I wanted to learn and know, okay, if this is the way that I'm living my life, obviously there are people out there who are not in this sexual dysfunction state. Um, what what are their lives look like? What do they, what sort of beliefs do they have about sex and sexuality? I'm just really being curious about what sexual liberation looked like because I didn't even have a concept of that at the time. I didn't know that sex could be liberating. I didn't know that. I could feel free in sex. And so that's, that's kind of how it started. I started getting really curious and I started reading books and I started um, educating myself on my anatomy, <laughs> you know, like realizing that, um, that that I, my body is essentially primed for pleasure and is, is supposed to, to feel pleasure. And from then, you know, that's just when my journey just continued to sort of take off and, um, and, and progress in that way.
1: So I think sex positivity could use some definition for listeners. What does that exactly mean?
2: So sex positivity is like a, it's an idea of sex and sexuality being unshamed and unhidden um, because for so long, Uh, There has been such shame and dogma and taboo attached to sex, and not just sex as a whole, but particular kinds of sex, you know, like not straight sex or not vanilla sex. So sex positivity essentially is um, being accepting and having... um, having a sense of respect to others who have um who have sex and whatever and and however that looks like i mean that can look like people who are incredibly kinky people who are not super kinky people who are non-monogamous people who are um, monogamous um it just it just really means that you respect other people's sexual
1: expressions what does vanilla sex mean Mm, vanilla sex, that's a really,
2: really good question. That's actually something that I've been uh, thinking about over the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, vanilla sex, as I understand it, is any sex that doesn't involve, uh, uh, doesn't involve the, um, oh my gosh, it's, it's so hard to explain. So sex, so vanilla sex, I would say, is like the sex that you have that. Uh, or the sex that you see when you're watching like a love scene on, on television or in a movie, you know, it's usually in a missionary position. Um, There's usually no power play uh, dynamics happening. Um, There's usually no kink or anything like that. It's usually just like kind of your everyday average, like, you know, everyday average sex.
1: So, it would be the kind of thing you'd see in a movie that would not be pornography. It would be, oh, here's the typical hetero model of man-woman, and they're making out, and now they're in the missionary position.
2: Totally, sure. I mean, that's one. I mean, and, and the whole, and I mean we don't even have to get into this, but, like, there's there's a... Yes, vanilla sex is really, really complicated, and, okay. and so is kinky sex.
1: So, All right, but, but take vanilla sex as an idea and now contrast that with MTV sex. When you said that you would go from your home, which was highly religious, to school, and everybody was influenced by these charged sensual videos. So mm-hmm. what would MTV sex have been?
2: Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I... I didn't really see sex on MTV. I mean, not like sex as an act, but I definitely saw uh, hints and was given glimpses of what sex as an act looked like via MTV. So, I mean, there was a lot of glorification of of women's bodies, um, sort of in a derogatory sense. Um, it, it, the impression that I got from MTV was that sex was plentiful, sex was constant, Orgasms where uh, were required, um, and there is also this this dynamic of the man being sort of the dominant one, the one that's getting his needs met, the one that's getting his pleasure um, satiated, and the woman is sort of his object. Uh, his Servicing. toy to sort of play with. Sure,
1: yes. Servicing yes. the man.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: so I think what what's confusing for the listener, just to clarify, is first of all, MTV was music television, these 24-hour running videos. And they were very erotic for all of the viewers who had never seen stuff like that. It was like, oh my gosh, look at the way her body's moving. Oh my God, look at the way her hips are gyrating. It was the first time, I think, in a public acceptable format, we were exposed to the visual erotic... Self, But on the flip side of that, you're right. There was a great deal of heterosexual servicing of the male from the female, which ultimately would be disempowering. But there was an erotic charge to watching people move in the ways they did in these videos. I feel the same memory thinking of MTV, which was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And then checking in with self to say, What am I feeling? And a lot of times I think people were turned on watching this type of music video. However, as we have evolved from music television to now, there is a great difference in the sexualized, glorified male. And then the woman that's servicing that person's pleasure. The the hope I have with the work you're doing is that pleasure is becoming equally acceptable and understood mm-hmm. by women and men and trans and femme and any identity that one feels authentic about within themselves, they deserve you deserve, all of us deserve pleasure. And I think that would hopefully be the evolution from that erotic charge visually to now, psychologically and, uh, otherwise.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, and things have certainly shifted over the last, uh, 20 years. I mean, even the last 10 years, um, in terms of sexual diversity, like the images that we're seeing, and it's a lot easier to find, uh, what I like to call erotic muses, people that we can look to, um, sort of like as, uh, as inspiration for, us. Uh, the sexual freedom that we hope to to be able to express and attain. I mean, we have so many different um, role models to look to, and um, there are so many amazing things that are happening in the sex-positive community that um, make sex into, in, into something that is is relatable, something that's doable. You know, we're all very different. We all have different desires and, and different levels of, of curiosity, and I think it's really important that we honor that
1: who's your erotic role model?
2: Oh, that is a really good question. Um, for the longest time, it was Anaïs Nen, because um as she's an author, she wrote Oh yeah, uh, good answer. Yeah, yeah, she wrote uh, uh, erotica. Uh, she was she was like my my Uh, imaginary godmother um, when I was doing when I was really in the thick of some hard times with my sexuality. Her books I was constantly reading because I loved her perspective on sexuality and just watching her uh, blossom and, and awaken sexually just through reading her diaries was just oh it was so inspiring. Um, so she'll always have a special place in my heart because of that. Um, she really helped facilitate that. Um, these days though, I'm really, really in love with uh, Beyonce. I, I love mm. the work that she's doing to uh, kind of uh, highlight what female uh, sexuality looks like, particularly black female sexuality, I think of it. Um, that is one part of our history that has uh, has not, been able to shine without judgment, and um, I like that she's sort of standing in her power and and influencing other women to do the same.
1: Oh, that's such a great answer. And I think with respect to Beyoncé's imagery and what she puts out there, she's doing it also from the perspective of a married woman, mm-hmm. a woman who is beautifully pregnant, as she dances on that stage at the Grammys, a woman who is showing the world that mother-wife does not have to be non-erotic. Exactly. And you brought up the marriage night, and I want to go there because I bet a lot of listeners can relate to this. There is so much pressure that's put on, whether you're from a religious home, or whether you've just been subliminally taught from the history of you know, loyalty, marriage, partnership. I think that that marriage night, the first night of marriage is a great metaphor for how we end up closing down the emotional system in a partnership when it is the ultimate opportunity to open the vessel of the emotional truth of each Mm. person. And so there's this pressure for anyone out there married, you know exactly what we're talking about, whether you're gay, straight, trans, whatever your association is, you've been married and you know that feeling that night. And I got to say this, because I hear this in my private practice a lot. There is rarely a wedding night that is sexually charged and erotically, you know, positioned—no uh, pun intended—for the emotional body to want to be sexually erotic and charged and um, and turned on. Why? Because emotionally, you just got married that day, or that afternoon, or that night. That in itself is a really big moment emotionally. And so the reason I wanted to open this conversation up is as life marches on for that married couple or a person in long-term relationship, I note often that there is a shutting down instead of an opening up. And really, when I think about the beauty of marriage, partnership, long-term love, it's about creating space that's safe for both people to open up so that you as an individual, are learning and maximizing your soul self, creating this beautiful third octave with your partner. And I love the idea of starting with that first night of marriage and then really talking candidly, you and 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 myself, about long-term love and erotic power.
2: Mm, yes, yes. Well, you know, I think a lot of people have this idea that when you hit adulthood, and I mean, the reality is that most, most people by the time that they're getting married have already had sexual experiences. Um, I think that there, there is this pressure to have it all figured out and to be sort of an expert on sex at that point. Um, I know particularly for women, we have been raised to kind of see, um, our partners, particularly if we're with men, uh, male partners to be sort of the gatekeepers of our sexuality. So our, our sexual expressions aren't activated until we are in bed with our husbands or our sexual desires aren't, uh, explored until our partner, uh, encourages us or, or influences us or inspires us to do that. Um, and so, What I like to do or what I'm trying to do in my work is not have it be so boxed in and and not have that pressure to be perfect. Um, a lot of times what I'll say in my work is that, you know, this process of sexual liberation is a journey. There is no destination. I mean, you can have a, a desired outcome. You can have a desired goal in mind. Um, but you will always be on this path of learning who you are as a sexual person um, because of the world we live in, because we still live in, even though it's sex saturated, we still live in a sex negative world. And so I think it's it's absurd and unhealthy and a little dangerous to have this assumption that the moment that you get married and you meet the love of your life, the sex is going to be good. It's going to be perfect. He's going to know how to turn you on. Um, you're going to know how to orgasm. Like if you haven't had the sort of, uh, the, the education, if you haven't done the work to deconstruct the things that could be keeping you from being sexually free, or, or maybe are keeping you not accessing your sexual truth, because, I mean, that's another thing. A lot of us are walking around trying to be the porn stars that we see constantly put on this pedestal, and we're not actually sitting down and asking ourselves, okay, but what is my sexual identity? Like, what is my sexual expression? What does that look like? Um, I think that if you start to do that work, I mean, it's it's, it's going to take years and years and years before you can get to a point of really, really knowing yourself. I mean, look at me. I've been doing this, technically, I've been on my sexual liberation journey for about 12 years. And, like, there's still so much to be healed within me. There's still so many things that... Um, me and my partner are having to struggle with. I mean matter of fact I'll be very honest with you a few nights ago I got triggered by a sexual encounter that me and my partner were having which is always a really humbling experience for me because when I'm in because of the work that I do you know and because of folks like you who call me an expert I like to think like oh I've I've got this I I've, I've been doing this for a long time there's no reason for me to to kind of step backward and and uh, you know i i i've made it um and and then i realized like no once once again you know this work is something that is lifelong and and something that you have to continue to put work into
1: yeah and i think the way i would define expert in my um my own definition is someone who's devoted devoted to their cause devoted to their purpose has put in at least 10 years um and ideally that work that education that sharing as a teacher gets richer and richer and richer with every decade but the devotion really? the devotion is non-negotiable and that's Ooh, how I I
2: like your definition <laughs> I really do cuz I talk to so many people and yeah devotion I love that that's great
1: Well, and when I researched you, there was so much work that you have contributed to this idea of erotic power and stepping out of shame sexually and I don't think that there are a lot of people who can say that they've put 12 years into that and if they have then it's time for them to share what it is that they're learning and knowing and it seems yes. like people have trusted you but mm-hmm. I want to go want to go back to what you were saying about the long term love affair and I also want to open up the notion that this is no way a heterosexual conversation. Yes. You know yes. this is bisexual, uh, gay, trans, whatever your identity is as a sexual being, which we all are, there is the beauty of long-term love. And you, you made the comment earlier about trying to do it, quote, right. But Honestly, what is right is subjective and it's personal. And so Absolutely. I find it so hopeful in long-term love that the erotica and the sensuality, even at those moments where there is a trigger, that would be the opportunity to go down under the trigger and say, what am I here to learn from this experience with my long-term safe, trusted lover, partner? Mm-hmm. And then that's an education that you go on together because there is that Desire to continue to awaken individually, which is going to continue to give that beautiful oxygen and texture to the long term love. And when it comes to sexuality, That is something that is so personal. And I think we get really confused by the assumptions that, you know, this equals orgasm. Orgasm is the point of sex. Whatever that education has been, the definitive nature of sexuality is the problem. The Mm -hmm. idea is to keep the awakening, I would guess, in the body and in the mind and in the spirit. So with partner, you can continue to unfold, unleash uncover the parts of yourself that have not even been discovered sexually, but to do so with someone who's devoted. And that's that word again, devoted.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So sexually speaking with couples that I work with, often they'll say, one person wants it more, the other person wants it less. I hear that a Mm, lot. And when you really get in touch with the one that quote wants it less, a lot of times they feel like they're not the partner doesn't have the interest in knowing what might be really what turns them on. And right. and you work a lot with women um, mm-hmm. and I do too. And I think the one thing that we know as women sexually, we aren't going to have the tempo that men often have with sexuality. And, and I don't know if that's because of, you know, the, the complexity and beauty of the vagina versus the more outspoken penis, but, A lot of times for women, the sensual dance is slower, more exploratory. um, And with that, there has to be an understanding of the timing, the mood, the emotional body. All of that creates the environment to which you can go wherever you want to go sexually.
2: Yeah. So There's one thing that I would like to add to that because what you're speaking to is... um, is something that I actually read a book about uh, last year that it's blown my life open. It's so amazing. I would highly recommend if anyone's listening right now and they're they're nodding yes and saying like, okay, I want to know more about this. Um, I recommend the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. Um, and it talks all about how uh, there are certain uh, sort of types of um of, of ways that people like to uh, be turned on. And, and basically the, the sex, the, this idea of sexual dysfunction is actually not dysfunction. It's that everyone has their own method and way of, of getting off, of being turned on and being able to identify that Particularly with your partner, especially if maybe your partner is on a lower end of sexual libido or on a higher end. Um, it's just a really, really good book. I read it with my husband and um and it was it was awesome the the stuff, the wisdom that um, Emily Nagoski I mean she's a scientist, so she she's done a lot of work and research in that. so I highly recommend that book for people.
1: Oh that's a great recommendation and mm-hmm. and the other thing that was um, percolating with this particular focus is that I think where long-term love can get into trouble is that we put such emphasis on the orgasm. And so let's say you and your partner know how to support the orgasm in each other. And then that becomes this end result. And then each time you're in sexual time together, there's the, Oh, let me do it again that way, because that's how they have an orgasm and that's how they come. And I think there is also a really important moment here in the idea of possibility to not just focus on that as the goal or the outcome, but to take a different approach, almost like Kundalini, um, as a way to really understand the spiritual side of erotic pleasure. Mm, yes, yes, I 100% well, agree. What would you say about that? How would you honor that idea for someone who's saying, you know what, I'm sick of the same way doing it. We do it the same all the time. This happens, then this happens, then this happens. How do you guide people to shake that up, change that, do it differently?
2: Well, I think what you're saying about the the emphasis being put on orgasm is so true. I mean, I think that that um, because of how much emphasis and precedence we put on orgasm we think that sex is the orgasm right like that's that's all that sex is for is for the orgasm and so what i like to tell people to try to do is to take the pressure off of the orgasm and instead just just kind of go through like uh, sort of like a remedial process of having, of, of ha- creating intimacy. Because I mean, that's all that sex really is, is just physical, emotional and spiritual intimacy with your partner. And so you don't have to have penetrative sex in order to uh, access physical, emotional and spiritual intimacy with your partner. Um, like I think back to the times when me and my husband were First dating, like the first couple of months that we started dating. And there was this period where we were just exploring each other's bodies. Like it wasn't about orgasm. It wasn't about penetration. It was about luxuriating in the feel of each other's skin on our skin. And it wasn't even that we were naked. It was that we would be cuddled up together and we would be feeling each other's skin and we would be breathing with each other. I mean, that is just as luxurious, if not more luxurious um, than than you know your standard penis and vagina sex, right? Um, I like to say that it's all about intention. And if you can show up in your relationship with your partner and your intention is to create intimacy, I mean, there's so many ways then for you to experience sex, right? Because if sex is 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 simply intimacy, making your your partner a delicious meal, and infusing it with the intention of intimacy and love, um, and devotion, that can be an act of sex, you know? Um,
1: Yeah, I I also think that one of the things that I work with a lot with clients is intention is also aligned with where you put your attention. So Mm -hmm. you can you can have an intention to be intimate with your partner in a new way and for a particular um, night together you might both decide let's do it like we've never done it as if we're in our newest time together exploring each other's bodies for the first time and then where you put your attention is really an interesting way to further develop what I would consider the spiritual practice of sexuality. So I'd love for you to tell us in all the work that you have done in this category and area of embodiment, what would be some erroneous zones of the body, um, areas of the human body that have heightened sensitivity that are not the typical places we usually consider that to be like the breasts or the clitoris or the penis, what would be some areas of the body that a couple could explore that are highly sensitive and exciting to play around with in a new way?
2: Mm, that's a really, really good question. Um, so one thing that I like to do is to kind of bring this idea uh, of choice into Um, into my interactions. So it's going to be really easy for me to tell you where those erroneous zones are, but everyone is so different and the world, uh, uh, the way of sexual liberation is really stopping and kind of tuning out all the noise from other people, other experts, other books and just like get into your own body and figure out what it is that gives you pleasure, what it is that you desire um, so in the work that I've done, I can speak generally and say that, you know, as, as I've been helping women open up and figure out what those erroneous zones are in their body, I mean, they find new, new ways of experiencing pleasure that they just haven't before, you know, like just because they get connected to their senses in that way, which is really the essence of sensuality is sort of listening with the senses, um, so, if you are connected to your sensuality, if you' are connected to your sensual body, any part of your body can suddenly be an erroneous zone. Um Again, it's about bringing that intention. Um I know I'm not I'm not totally answering your question here but it's deliberate. Um I think that it's really important that people do the work themselves to actually take that time to sit down and figure out what it is they what it is that brings them pleasure. What sort of touches, what sort of textures, what sort of tastes and sounds and smells bring them pleasure so that they can go to their partner and state their needs, and say, I want you to touch me in this way, or I've been exploring this aspect of my sensuality, and I've been really curious about this. Um, I, I think that that's where the standing in your erotic power comes from, is being able to know yourself well enough to know what you want, what you need, asking for that, and then hopefully your partner on the other end will be like, wow, cool, let's try it.
1: So figuring it out on your own and then sharing that with your beloved and and having that experience together where maybe you both go off and figure out, you know, what it is that just feels so good that you haven't really shared or even gotten in touch with yourself and then coming together and sharing that.
2: Exactly, exactly. because you know for for a lot of us, we haven't done that work. Like again, as I was saying earlier, we've we've kind of given the the keys to the city to our partners when it comes to uh, when it comes to accessing our sexuality and our sexual expression. And so a lot of my work is based on who are you as a sexual being? like outside of your marriage, outside of your relationship, outside of what society says of you, who are you as a sexual being? What are your needs? What, what do you desire? What brings you joy? What brings you pleasure? Um, what things are you curious about? Like really kind of isolating your, yourself in this situation and seeing like, and seeing all the things All the things of who you are, you know, like really taking the time to pick those pieces apart layer by layer. And then once you know yourself, once you have a sense of who you are as a sexual being, that's like the best time for you to be able to Share that knowledge and share that curiosity and that enthusiasm with your partner because I have a feeling your partner may not know or he they, they may think that they know and then you start doing this work and you're like, wow, actually, this is the way that I want you to have sex with me. This is the way that I want you to come on to me. This is the way that I want you to, um, to show me that you love me. So I think it's really important that we start with the you first.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Now, before we have to sign off quickly, you had said something important for the listeners, because I think money and sex are the two things that couples have the greatest arguments about, also that they can feel the most triggered about. So you said the other night you were triggered, what would be something that would be a tool to share In the event, which often happens and probably will with people, that there's a trigger around the sexual liberation or erotic power, how is one best able to come back to a place of resolution and connection when that trigger takes you further apart?
2: Mm. Well, I mean, an ideal scenario would be that you are able to communicate and feel safe to communicate to your partner that you have been triggered. Um, That is very key because I think a lot of times we override our triggers. We, we feel something in our bodies. that's like, this isn't right, or I don't feel good, or this isn't what I want to do. And because of conditioning, we think, well, there's something wrong with me because this is the way it's supposed to be. So um, I think first and foremost, having, Having a conversation with your partner in that moment that says, "Hey, I need to take a take a step back here because I'm feeling a little triggered by something." And maybe "triggered" isn't the word for you. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's another word. Maybe you you're not feeling comfortable. Maybe you're not really feeling it. Um, maybe your mind's just not in that place. I mean, these are words that you can use in your own way. Um, but I think communication is important. Um, and then also, sort of, uh, once again, sort of communicating if you can pinpoint what it was that triggered you communicating that to your partner. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, it's that that's kind of a tricky thing to do. It involves you going really deep within yourself. So if you, I, I highly recommend that if, if someone's getting triggered in their sexual relationships, um, that they hire a professional, that they, yeah. they definitely get into therapy because yeah. they will be able to help facilitate you and, and, and help you figure out what exactly those triggers are coming from.
1: Yeah. And when I work with couples, it's one of the greatest gifts they give themselves and their third octave, which is their relationship to have someone who's safe and qualified to really go mm-hmm. through what trigger means and how it comes up. So then the the question that is answered is to communicate, to get help, and to know that you're not alone because yes. everybody goes through these, you know, the ups and the downs. Evian, tell everybody how to find you, work with you? What's the best way for people to learn more about you?
2: Oh, well, they can go to my website. Uh, It's sexloveliberation.com. You'll see lots of uh, pictures of me and um, you'll get a chance to kind of peruse all the things I'm into. I have classes, I have a podcast, I have a blog. Um, Another place that they can find me is on Facebook. So facebook.com slash sexloveliberation. I like to post uh, articles there and things that are inspiring me. Um, And then Instagram is like my favorite place to connect with people um, it's it's where I post pictures and I post snippets of my podcast and things like that um, and I'm um at evian.whitney so my first name e-v-y-a-n period anyway.
1: And I couldn't agree with you more. I love Instagram. It's so fun. It's the best. So we're at Feel Good Naked Radio. And the other thing to know is that um, many of you have been asking, do I work with people on the phone? I do. I work with people all over the country. So reach out. I can help you. Evian can help you. And Evian, thank you for influencing and helping everyone understand that my tagline is really met by your work, which is that you complete you.
2: Thank Mm. you, Evian Whitney. Thank you so much for having me. It was a
0: pleasure. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin.